Thank you for joining the Ones Changing the World, which is India's first Future Tech Meets Sustainability podcast. And today, I'm delighted and honored to have with me Professor Nadia Thalman, who's a pioneer in the field of virtual humans and social robots. She founded the interdisciplinary research group Mira Lab at the University of Geneva. She worked extensively on virtual humans. Now, this field has been elevated. because of the acceleration of technologies and companies such as Google uh Facebook itself you know rebranding from Facebook to Meta you know and 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 the complete hype cycle of metaverse and now Apple jumping into the bandwagon with you know the term spatial computing now you've been one of the pioneers who've been researching on uh virtual humans could you could you you know maybe elaborate on metaverse virtual reality spatial computing and how the virtual humans is going to fit into the scheme of things yes you know when you have virtual worlds as soon as you create because i started in the 86 something like that to create virtual humans who were among very very few and when you start you it's the, with the idea to populate the world because uh, so far in the 90s at the beginning was mainly uh, decor objects so if you have no humans what's the point to have a virtual world without humans and when we include humans then it means we have to include their autonomy interaction with other things so it makes a uh, metaverse or real world much more real a couple of years ago let's say in the late 80s or beginning of 90s when we did virtual reality uh, people were very much interested to i don't know define decors but it looks very static with absolutely no motion in our case we put very early humans that interacted with the virtual world so the interest is really if we have a, a metaverse or virtual world we need absolutely to interact and do things interesting things with humans and not only talk but the the virtual ones can do things they are autonomous one that can do and they are the avatars a copy of someone that does also something and working together and even what we did uh, in singapore in a project uh, being together is for example you are in india myself actually i'm in switzerland so uh, people can together in this virtual world do things together could be surgery or could be i don't know uh, building something showing discussion but discussion is passive in some way uh, if we use hands and we do things is something more interesting so you see Uh, it's a must to have humans inside this metaverse otherwise uh, it, it would be it, it's not possible so this trend dates out since i think early 90s to have humans in virtual reality and you know at the beginning uh, when we started uh, this research was completely new i mean very few people were wondering there's uh, a lot of people were wondering why we do that but over time there was a validation even when we defined virtual humans it was completely out of the box 
in terms of research because people were interested to model objects, to make rendering or this kind of thing. Suddenly that you have people uh, defining humans and so on, they were wondering why we are God or I don't know, we, we had this kind of uh, uh, comments, why we do this and what is the impact and it was e even quite difficult to get money for that. So you see now how it is. So from loneliness in the research, it has become such a hot topic that you feel everywhere your research uh, is uh, spread. So, thank you, uh, Nadia, for, you know, I mean, being one of the early movers and, and braving it out because like you rightfully pointed out, you know, when you are one of the early movers, it's very difficult to convince the world of the potential of uh, that specific technology. Today, I, I think there are various metaverses. You know, it's not just the companies such yeah. as Meta and, and Roblox and, you know, the others mm -hmm. building these metaverses. There are small, small startups from around the world who are building these metaverses. And you rightfully pointed out, a metaverse to become relevant and contextual for consumers as brands is when there is interactions in it and engagement. And that can only and only happen with virtual uh, uh, humans, avatars becoming more intelligent, you know, uh, from NPCs to becoming, you know, the avatars becoming uh, intelligent agents, you know, where, so, but, you know, so from 90s till now, I think that is happening in a big way. There are companies such as Convoy mm -hmm. and, and many others who are now making conversational agents, you know, from NPCs to uh, virtual avatars, which has got an artificial intelligence layer, uh, you know, behind it. Talk to us about your current research of virtual avatars at this point in time mainly uh, on virtual humans, on the project which is a digital surgeon. So what is interesting, for example, at the University of Geneva and all over the planet, uh, people, uh, medical students are uh, trying to understand the anatomy through normal, uh, uh, through cadavers or eventually some static images. So what we are doing, and, and it's quite a lot of training of uh, real uh, surgeons to teach them to make, for example, surgery. Surgery is not just anatomy, but it's the act of opening a skin, making suture, and so on. And it takes a lot of their time. As we know, all over the planet, the, the surgeons are very busy. So dedicating surgeons to, I don't know, for example, University of Geneva has about... Uh, 400 students is a little for India, but let's say it's a small university, 400 students in medicine, and everyone has to learn, for example, how to cut skin, how to sew skin, and it takes a lot of time. So what we decided and what we proposed and decided with uh, the hospital and the surgeon, neurology surgeon uh, department is we provide to them a, uh, let's say a virtual surgeon that is of course capable of understanding the gestures of the students, each one, and uh, instead of having a real one, this virtual one can say, okay, 
you can't not exactly in the right way, you should do this gesture or that gesture. So this is very precise. So we are working on, of course, on AI models, on data set of surgeon. We started to record quite a lot of surgeon gestures uh, to have a reference model in order we can create the know-how of the surgeon, virtual surgeon. And we are now at this stage to you know, understand uh, what are the actions of the surgeon, define them in the data set, and then to go ahead with, I see in a couple of months with students to try the digital surgeon. So there will be two aspects of that. Either the students is on his or her desktop and looking the, the surgeon look at the, the, the students and react and it does the gesture, uh, or uh, it could be in virtual reality. So the, in the virtual reality setting, we have really a complete definition of the hospital and the surgery table and everything and the body of a, let's say, a virtual patient. And they can open a virtual patient to do all the actions and the digital surgeon one among others they see in the virtual world can intervene and teach them. So this is what we do. Uh, in the next few years, the education industry is, is going to be completely redefined and upended. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, in, in all sectors, including healthcare, you know, the, the reference that you gave yes. on how uh, students can learn surgery in, in a virtual environment. And yeah, here in India, uh, these uh, health institutes, getting a cadaver is, is quite difficult, you know, and, you know, so yes. it, it, with, with a, like a virtual reality headset and maybe an experience, you know, a doctor, a, a training doctor, a surgeon could be sitting at any part of the, at his home possibly, and, you know, could be learning how to do surgery. And so, so interesting, interesting things and interesting space that we, we are getting into. So professor, you, you, you are also, you know, the founder of Mira Labs, you know, could you talk about that and you mentioned about the social robot that you're uh, building you know Nadine at my early career just after my PhD I had the chance to be a nominated assistant professor immediately after, after my PhD and uh, I, I started to create Michalab uh, Lab so it is already uh, it has already started and my main goal due to my personality and my background was to create a fully interdisciplinary lab. At that time, you know, interdisciplinary was something that was not so much recognized because people thought you touch everything, but what are you? Okay, so in this team, early team, uh, let's say in the late 80s, uh, we had already designers because we were defining a software platform, interactive software platform, for animation and we have designers and we made very famous film like uh, Marilyn Monroe meeting Humphrey Bogart in a cafe in Montreal where they never met before. So it was a very international success and particularly uh, when you spoke who recognized, it was mainly Japan who recognized the work or the US, Europe, no. But let's say Japan was number one. So then afterwards, when I moved to, to Geneva, 
I continued to create uh, and to, I created again Nihalab, and we do did all kind of very interdisciplinary research on developing virtual humans in all kind of activities and setting. A mixed up of medical doctors, designers, uh, computer scientists, engineers, and so on, which today uh, seems not new, but at the time that was nobody doing this kind of thing. Okay, and this is about Mihalab, which continue to exist, for example, with the project, uh, the digital surgeon. Now, about Nadine, Nadine was created, uh, I had this. Uh, willingness to move to robots or humanoid robots because after so many years to see this virtual, I got enough, I like to have uh, more presence. So I decided uh, to go to Japan and with Kokoro company, we define uh, Nadine, which in fact is a copy of myself, but I, you know, I didn't like to have a sexy robot. I just like to have a normal uh, person. So. Uh, we, the hardware was defined and done in Japan. And uh, then afterwards in Singapore, what we did is the defining of the platform. So that was quite a lot of algorithms and publications we had done, a top publication in the fact that, uh, first of all, we define emotions and uh, that uh, the robot can simulate a natural emotion, speech, and so on. And the other thing is we have worked a lot on defining new hands for Nadine and the grasping aspect, because when a robot grasps a humanoid, the humanoid needs to grasp in a very natural way and not like robots do anyway. So this is very complex because it needs to understand the, where is the object, who is holding it, or is it on the table, or is it given to me as a robot? And the second thing is the shape. How do I grasp different shape? And once I did, uh, uh, as a robot, I take, uh, I understand the shape, I have to take it in a way a human does it. And this is the full research from hardware definition to, uh, this kind of so we we also worked a lot on memory process so that means that I was very much interested to that the robots remember not only remember names but remain remember facts so Nadine uh, was a tremendous success because it was the most downloaded uh, views uh, of uh, NTU uh, so um, because we. Uh, you know, in all my research, I'm not so much interested. I'm very much interested to do novelty in algorithms, but I am also interested to put the research into concrete cases. And in this case, I brought Nadine first to the Art Science Museum, where she met about, uh, because it was a special exhibition, Humanoid Plus, so she met 100,000 people. It was an enormous success. Then she moved to, we made an agreement and we searched together with AIA insurance company in Singapore. So this kind of work is also not easy because Nadine has to get access with the collaboration of AIA in Singapore uh, to, 
to their database or at least some part of their database as any customer agent. And then she was sitting with other customer agents uh, during a couple of months and she was welcoming customers to uh, tell them what they could do for insurance, how to use the online version and so on. So you see, it's such a huge, uh, let's say, development of research behind. It took us, before she goes there, about two years to prepare all this. But then we made case study and it was very interesting. And the next thing we did is in collaboration with Elderly Home, Bright Hill Elderly Home, we brought also after many research and development, we brought Nadine to the elderly home in Singapore. So these people were light, uh, let's say, affected in their behavior, but uh, they could come freely to Nadine to speak to her, to tell their emotions and problems. And also Nadine was speaking bingo. She was proposing upon demand for each uh, resident um, the song they like. She could speak Chinese, of course, uh, English and uh, Hindi, because Nadine also met uh, Prime Minister Modi in Singapore because he came to visit NTU and they show Nadine who was speaking Hindi freely with him. So you see, all this kind of research requires not only to write papers, because I have written a lot of papers with my students and we were uh, very successful, but it requires that it is adapted to the real world and it is a need to the real world. I mean, in the elderly home, you know, when Nadine left, they have to make a ceremony to prepare the people for her leaving because in some way, she was part of, I get up and I see her, I spoke to her, you understand? She was part of the presence of the people because we know, at least in Switzerland, what I have seen in Singapore, that we don't have enough people to take care of them because too many and anyway, it costs a lot and so on. And Nadine, social robots can be very polite, can be, can be, can understand people, they are available, you know. So this is quite a lot of work. So what I like to say is, um, it's not enough to launch uh, social robots and to let them be, uh, why I talk, I, I, I chat in a nice way, but what is more important is how these robots are adapting in different situations how can they help us, how they can do some good for us and not just be another technological tool that, okay, fine, great. But uh, for me, the first question is how it is useful for me, for, for society, you know? Otherwise, yes, it's great for research, you know, you have two layers. You make research for papers, publishing, and you help the, you know, you speak of all these companies, but these companies, they have looked at our papers for years because, you know, academics are there to produce uh, original novelties. They are paid for that. So, okay, this is a reference for many people. But then on the other side, it's also interesting to know and to do that your work and demonstrate that your work 
can be very useful in different settings. And we have other uh, projects to eventually make the first lawyer, you know, on that people can come consult due to AI and answer all kinds of questions, you see? So it's so much to do. It's the beginning, in fact. Right, completely. Yeah, you rightfully pointed out. It, it's just the beginning because uh, we be living in a fantastic point of time. And over the years, you have polished this uh, humanite social robot. And eventually, I think in the next few years, these social robots will be acceptable. Though, you know, I mean, Hollywood has painted a picture of robots being uh, uh, existing existential threat to humanity. So, you know, we humans always have a, a, a little um, yeah. apprehension towards, you know, the robots. But I hope that that goes away. Um, could, could you elaborate on, you know, the good for society and its its applications? Because, you know, right, rightfully at this point in time, I mean, robots are being used for industries. It's, be, it's been uh, used across industries, you know, but when you're talking about humanoid robots, it's far and few because, you know, we... we we humans are extremely dexterous, while as these robots, I mean, you like like you rightfully pointed out, can't even do things which, you know, possibly an eight-year-old ch- child can do extremely, extremely easily. What do you think could be those challenges or the barriers, both engineering challenges as well as software, you know, these, these uh, uh, challenges, if worked upon, can build these humanoid social robots which could uh, do everything that we do? When you ask, technologically speaking, it's quite a lot still to do. The walking freely, the grasping freely, the awareness of the world, which is not the case. They distinguish one, two, three people. They are not aware where they, what is in a full room. So that's very limited view. So what a human is, able to do and what a robot is able to do that's today still a very big difference and the vision part is limited although I think half of the researchers in graphics vision work on that but still uh, it is a lot of work to do so this I I would say uh, will take years to develop to as you give your example to be completely like a human uh, and second, um, I think anyway, the, the robots are pure logic. Uh, they work according to pure logic. So they will never be due to their nature uh, like a human. A human is a biological being with cells and uh, biochemistry and all the laws of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, quantum chemistry, you know, we can come back to that. So it's no comparison if you see a robot uh, without the skin that's motors, actuators, so it's absolutely no comparison. So the, the, the behavior of a robot is mechanical and the second thing is due to the software logic. So in our uh, being, as a biological being, we are not we are partly logic, yes, but most of our actions are guided by behind emotions. The feeling, the feeling of our, uh, let's say, biological bodies, our cells, our hormones, uh, our humors, our motivation, our sorrows, and so on. 
a robot has nothing of it. We can simulate, but it's always through logic process. So it's, it's like a fantastic actor, but it's, uh, it's fake. So the link, I, I, I see the imitation can be fantastic and it could be useful to help in places where a human is not there or to augment the capacity of the humanity in places where we need uh, robots. But otherwise, you know, I don't see, uh, 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 for me, a human is a human and a robot is a mechanical entity with a lot of logic capable of fantastic things. That's it. So, Professor, you mentioned that building robots, especially humanoid robots, it's extremely challenging. And and we are possibly years, maybe decades away from even getting close to us biological human beings, you know, and possibly maybe we just might never get to something that has got the dexterity, the intellect, as well as the consciousness that we have, we just might never get to it. But even right now, we, we are building robots. I mean, the state of the robots is being used for uh, autonomous robots, killer robots. Uh, we be using uh, 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 robots for surveillance. Uh, and through the pace of acceleration of technologies, eventually, possibly, we might have robots which could resemble us, maybe possibly do the things that we do. Does these does these uh, thing worry you? Like uh, like an is automation something uh, that you think about? Does the militarization of robots uh, is something that worry you? Yes, of course. In on one way, uh, when you see in Ukraine uh, that you have uh, brave people who have to go. Uh, and be killed, it may be better to have a technological war with robots, you know. The good aspect that if you have a machine that, uh, you know, countries like to show who is the most, uh, let's say, technological developed country and use uh, technology only and not humans. Anyway, I'm against the war, but let's say if it happens, the good thing in quotation could be that instead of having human in 2023 that kill each other, so it's so completely incredible. So if there are machines that, you know, kill each other or or let's say uh, more machine war, this is the only positive things I can see. But anyway, I am not for war myself. I work on social robot. What does it mean? It means that uh, when you are old and lonely, you have nobody about you around you. Uh, statistics show that, for example, in UK, uh, more than 60% of people elderly, they spend Christmas alone, which is a very important uh, religious uh, moment for them. They spent six, they spent alone. If they would have a social robot, at least that could put music, take care. You know, we speak of high tech. So if they cannot get out of the bed, the robot can take them, help them to wash. Uh, I remember in Singapore, a lady told me, I give you uh, several millions. It was, you know, a donator. 
And she came to me through Nadine in NTU and said, we can give you in NTU, of course, several millions if you can help to wash uh, people in elderly home, which is a huge task. Or, of course, on the long run at each home where an elderly cannot do it. Impossible. When you ask the limits, it was not possible because first to lift somebody in a comfortable way is not a packet, is the comfortable way and the, and the reaction and then to wash it, nobody can do it today. Of course, in the future, so many uh, talented people are working, we will solve these issues, I'm sure. But let's say when you speak of, do I am afraid of robot for walls or robot for very bad sake, we cannot avoid. It's the same for every technology. If you work in quantum physics and then afterwards you have nuclear power or nuclear war, what can you do as a researcher? We cannot stop researchers to think and develop. Afterwards, that should be organisms that decide what technology can be used and for what is the same for AI, is the same for robots. We badly need uh, maybe United Nations committee or whatever to decide what is uh, to be used for what and which sake and make uh, uh, proposed limits. I think this is the only thing. We researchers, we cannot stop thinking and going ahead because my intention is to help elderly, to help children, for example. You know, Nadine is fantastic because she can speak many languages. I have a six years old uh, small daughter, granddaughter. And of course she's speaking English uh, and, and French. Uh, but she could, uh, she, her father has come from Arabic background, so she would like to practice more Arabic. She said, I like to know German. I like to know uh, Spanish because she had a nanny uh, which is Spanish, you understand? So she could talk and Nadine could explain and even with the screen, with cartoon or small animation, interactive. Nadine could remember how she learns, what she likes, her preferences and have a bond with uh, children and teach them is the same for mathematics, is the same for everything. So if we see that we can have our individual teacher, uh, a nice teacher you like in the, in the shape, you know, in the style, and progress thanks to that is a big gift to humanity. So we have to see this way. So, Professor, keep on doing what you're doing because I guess we need researchers, scientists such as yourself who are building these technologies and tools which tend, which will completely upend humanity. You know, technology as a tool has always been something which has augmented mankind, whether it's the fire, the calculator, yeah. the phone, yes. the computer, the mm -hmm. flight. And yes. it will keep on. But you rightfully pointed out, you know, there if there'll always be humans who have bad yeah. intentions and 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 those people i mean obviously for that you'll need regulations and institutions and organizations that can look into it now the the the, the field of robotics is, is growing rapidly you know you have uh, uh 
chat GPT, you have generative AI, you know, it's given the Nadine has chat GPT. Yeah, yeah, tool in common people to kind of, uh, you know, leverage uh, just text to image, text to video, text to code, text to search, and so many things, you know. Now, could, could you talk about, uh, you know, the role of AI in robotics? And also, while you're talking about that, maybe also talk about your peers, you know, because the ones who are building uh, uh, humanoid robots, I mean, there are Emeka Engineered Arts, Emeka, which I think is really cool. Then Boston uh, uh, Dynamics is doing something with Atlas. Yes. Uh, Sanctuary AI is doing something called Phoenix. Tesla is building Optimus. Yes. And obviously, Hanson Robotics is yes. Sophia. So maybe if, if you could talk about how AI is being leveraged for uh, robotics as well as your peers. Yes. Well, you know, we started robotics in the uh, late 90s. Uh, with a uh, head robot from Hanson Robotics. So uh, I know uh, David Hanson very well, the one who works uh, with Sofia. So at that time, he came to University of Geneva in 98, no, in, sorry, to 10, uh, 28. He came and we worked together for a while because we made in Geneva uh, emotional models for our robot that was done by him. It was a head. So her name, the name of this robot we had in Geneva was Eva. Okay, just to say, to speak of competitors, I know very well uh, David Hansen. We, we were uh, supposed to work also in Singapore, but he moved to Hong Kong to create a company and created uh, with, of course, others, Sophia. And on our case, uh, we created Nadine. So we had... I think most people have parallel views. Of course, the difference in our case is that we work more on original algorithms because it's the goal of academics, new methods, and not necessarily immediate uh, beautiful applications. Is First of all, is this, to you know, uh, the survival of academics is to publish huh? the goal. Uh, what is our output is to publish cited uh, research, the most cited, the best it is, let's say is a game in academic setting. If we look at all the ones you mentioned, maybe a difference is uh, the one in, in Boston Dynamics because I had the chance when I was in Montreal to meet or to have at least uh, um, conferences to see what they were doing. And the, the person was a professor from MIT, so the logic was more academic towards a company. So we could see in the research afterwards that the research was very solid. In many places, it's more to have a robot that looks great and use the existing everything or developing the, the basic to, to have a robot. I don't know the, the robot, I have seen the robot uh, I have seen many robots because I was in Saudi Arabia a couple of months ago. And uh, like in ITU, they brought quite a lot of different robots and people were there so we could see what they do. So, but let's say the main difference is that from the competitors, I would say I don't feel competitors because we, are, we come from the academic point of view. We don't sell the robots. We, we, invent, develop new methods, we publish, and then afterwards, as I said before, if we can demonstrate that 
this kind of new method, new algorithms can be have importance in real life setting, we do it too. So uh, the, the companies are there to develop robots, make multiplication of robots, also Sophia doesn't have multiplication so far, but we, 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 they, they have to live out of it. Our salary is not coming from our selling. Our salary is coming from the university that pays us for teaching and research. You understand? So that's a bit different than if you are in a company. So this is, uh, I think, one part of your question. Any advice to students or engineers who are pursuing a career in uh, robots? Yes, I think... Uh, uh, it's a pity that we don't have so much women coming to the field because uh, particularly in Europe, particularly in Europe, I found this in Singapore a better situation, but because, uh, you know, we have a lot of Indian, Chinese, uh, some local, but they were not so much attracted. But I would say the Chinese, the, the Indian students, there were many females. So I found this very interesting. Uh, here uh, in Europe, you have not so many people in robotics, a woman in robotics. And I feel a pity because it's not only technology. In fact, to build a robot is not something so complicated, you know, actually. It's more the, the software part, which is complex. The research is mostly on that. Actually, to build a hardware robot can be done following all kinds of rules, but it's not so high level. I would say the difficulty is more to develop the platform, the software, the methods, the algorithms. And now we have more and more tools, eventually ChatGPT and many others that exist before ChatGPT uh, that can be used if people don't like to code. And I think there is huge place for Women, which I think due to their lifestyle, uh, uh, having families and so on, I think uh, I noticed that there are less hackers uh, style than guys. When you see uh, guys in technology, sometimes they are very uh, on one track. If you see women, they are more diverse uh, in general. I don't like to speak of the gender questions, but it's what I noticed because I always have a mixed team. I have always had women in my team. So I would say the pity in Europe, they all run to sociology, psychology, uh, uh, even not uh, some law, you know, or eventually medical field. Yes, that's true. But they don't, they don't join so much engineering and not computer science and robotics. And this is a pity, but I wish it changed. I, I, I really hope so too, Professor. And I'm sure you're an inspiration. I'm sure, you know, more more women will follow you. And you rightfully pointed out, you know, we are building technology with a very narrow focus, you know, and largely it's a very male-driven uh, uh, arena. Mm -hmm. I hope there's more inclusivity and diverseness, you know, because I, I think the technology for the first time has become self-learning. And it's not like yes. the linear technologies that we're building so far. You know, what we are building can easily go out of our hand if we don't have uh, diversity uh, 
built into it and, and the goal of being something that is of human benefit and serves humanity rather than you know works towards the uh, other path so so uh, professor thank you once again for taking time and being part of the podcast my yes. last question to you uh, i would really like you to like paint a picture of what the future is going to look like because you've been someone who's been the pioneer pioneer in the space you know right from virtual humans to social ro- uh, robots what do you think is the future of humanity you know is to have myself i'm so sorry that i'm born too early because i would like to live the situation where now you have a robot uh, making all kind of actions for me being aware of my duties in terms of administration you know uh, a robot a, a humanoid robot like a piece of art i like and living for me and doing all the work i don't like so much or helping me in so many things so I think the future will be that every home will have such robots to help to support to you know what I say you have a couple actually who both work and for example in Europe you don't have so much like in Singapore maids in Singapore most people have a maid but you know in Singapore the maid works so hard it is questionable here no you don't have so that means that um children are sent to a common uh, babysitting place or children place uh, and uh, it would be nicer if you have individual as you mentioned i think it's very important individual teaching individual care you know you have a baby here after 4 months he is brought to a babysitting place but then you have many babies it would be better if a robot and it will be the future i don't know when but if you have robots that can take care teach him change him make music you know also music lessons so i think we could grow fantastically well because these robots will be incredibly able i don't say is a human i say is a machine that can simulate like an excellent actor with a lot of capacities maybe better capacities let's say logical capacities that what we have better memory better multiple capacities because we are also very on one track uh, these robots can be multi tracks why not and you know like uh, in india you have these statues with many hands why not having uh, like uh, the india uh, indian gods many many arms and you can do a lot of things in the same time you understand it will go beyond just the we as a creature a human who are unique as human as biological being but in the future i really see the individuality of this robot supporting us letting us grow having personal services that we don't have today so the future can be fantastic now what humans will do out of it is another question right professor really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast yes i think hollywood has painted a picture of robots being dystopian bringing on a destruction to the world but i i i hope that we create robots that coexist with us yeah. where we humans learn to coexist and and where it augments us like you pointed out the two very unique areas elder care as well as daycare for children because you know in a city you know uh, there are there are parents who are 
running you know to be mm-hmm. economically more uh, better off and in that uh, the parents are all working and the children are left to daycare and you know after mm-hmm. uh, and and even when you age you know the, the children's disappear and the parents are left in some elder care homes and I, if there are robots taking care it will be such so so beautiful so uh, obviously besides the uh, the children and the parents also so but really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast wish yeah, you thank you very and, much and the team the very best for uh, whatever you do and, and to my listeners if you like what you see in here then please press the subscribe button until next time see you guys bye bye thank you Thank you professor Thank really you. appreciate this